0: I think technically speaking, a lot of web three, I think is really focused on or at least during the bull market. I think we're now we're doing a pretty good job as an industry. Um, But a lot of web three has so far been super focused on really grand ideas on like how we can revolutionize a whole bunch of things. Um, And then we don't actually like survey our users or talk to people who are really actually trying to like get to use these things. so I think completing that loop and like talking to users, talking to customers, and actually building, you know, those integrations that we've talked about, the like applications um, that are that are really useful on top of the amazing infrastructure that's being provided by like Superfluid or Alchemy or some of these big players. I think that's super crucial. And so. Um, to get to do that, to do that, I think it's it's really important that you're not only learning about how does a blockchain work or like how do you use this really cutting edge like account abstraction techniques or or zk or whatever it is, but also just like having really strong fundamental like web development skills or mobile development skills. Like these will never go out of style. I think you, we need to have really strong just fundamental application developers in order to really take a lot of this amazing infrastructure and and actually get it into the hands of the billion people around the world.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Devs Do Something. Today's guest is Albert Hugh, product engineer at Deform. Albert spent a lot of time as a developer advocate at Alchemy, and he's probably most well known in Web3 as that guy in tech, which is also his Twitter handle. Uh, Albert's a great guy, he's he's done a lot of different things in his career. Uh, he started off as an engineer at Samsara, which is just a uh, Silicon Valley Web 2 company, and ultimately just kind of went down the crypto rabbit hole like the rest of us and dove into Web 3. So in this episode, we talked through Albert's career advice for early stage developers who want to get involved in this space. And we went really, really deep into how Albert thinks about actually building product, right? So. Albert in his role now has to wear a lot of different hats, right? He's gone from someone who was an engineer then a developer advocate. Now to someone who does a combination of actual product engineering at Deform, And he'll occasionally put on his his customer discovery hats, or his sales hat, or his marketing hat as well. And he's just, you know, very focused on making the company and d forms initial product successful. So For those of you listening that want to do similar things in your career, if you want to be an indie hacker, launch a startup, and develop a more well-rounded product skill set, I think that this episode is going to be very useful for you because we talk through all the different things that come up, all the different challenges that come up when you're actually trying to build something in production uh, for the first time. So with that said, Albert was a great guest, and we hope you enjoy this episode. As devs, we all love hackathons. They're a great way to boost your skill set, meet other engineers, and add to your portfolio of work. At Superfluid, we've sponsored many hackathons and decided to start putting on a hackathon of our own, the Superfluid Wave Pool. This hackathon is a little bit different, though, in that it's continuous. It's always open. You can submit any project built on Superfluid at any point throughout the month and have a chance to earn thousands of dollars in prizes, depending on how your project stacks up. In just the last couple of months, we've seen dozens of teams build really amazing projects that run the gamut from superfluid developer tutorials to full-fledged applications uh, to a proof of concept superfluid Starknet implementation that we thought was really, really impressive. So we encourage you to check it out today. You can learn more by going to superfluid.finance/wavepool. That's superfluid.finance/wavepool. Happy hacking! All right, so we're here today with another episode of Devs Do Something, and we are very excited to have on someone we've wanted to have on for a while. Albert, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Sam. It's uh, an honor to be here, really. I've been listening to the show for a while, so I really love it, and it's awesome that I get to share my story here, too.
1: Yeah, man, you've you've been a good supporter of the show, too, so uh, we appreciate that. Um, But listen, we're going to get into a lot of different topics today. Uh, we're gonna dive into your engineering career, how to evaluate like early stage startup teams. If you want to join a new startup, uh, how to approach like building products in the early stages. And I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. But before we do that, we would love for you to just talk through like how you got into Web three. Everyone's got an interesting story. Uh, I'm I'm very curious to hear yours.
0: Yeah, that's a great first question. Um... I think the first time I ever heard about anything blockchain related was probably around, uh, 2016, 2017. Ethereum was kind of uh, getting a lot of buzz. Um, this was like the ICO era. So everyone was thinking about how to launch a token and decentralize a bunch of existing, um, you know, business models in the real world. Uh, I had just recently graduated from university and I was starting to work in my first software engineering job. Um, And when I started learning more about Ethereum, I was talking about it with a friend of mine and, uh, the smart contract aspect was like super interesting. This ability to kind of program money and have some logic that automatically executes, um, and also have this kind of internet native money was, was just a really fascinating concept. And then to combine that technical kind of, um, innovation with the amount of like political, uh, I guess, um, interest where people were kind of debating about the right ways to design these systems and how like fervent people were about how, how big of a scale this will be in terms of like uprooting the existing financial infrastructure. Um, that was all really fascinating to me. So that's kind of how I got into the world. And then of course I was like, you know, speculating a little bit as well. So it was very exciting to see the price movement go up and down. and. You know, make some guesses as to like what big partnerships are going to make one uh, token moon or another. Um, I played around with some smart contract tooling back then too, so uh, you know, used Infura as one of the early uh, node providers and uh, Truffle to kind of develop some smart contracts. And I was like, oh wow, this is really interesting. But because I was so early in my software engineering career, I was like, okay, I, I think this is like something that that you really have to like spend a lot of time and like build a lot of tooling yourself first to even like build something actually real world productive. So I was like, okay, I need to um, kind of uh, buckle down and level up my engineering skills first. So I ended up working in Silicon Valley at various uh, other companies for a while. Um, One of them was uh, an IoT company. I was kind of under the impression that, you know, blockchain is a really interesting data structure where, um, you know, people can operate and interact with each other and transact with very little trust because of because of the the cryptography, but the getting real world data into the blockchain is something that would be um, you know really useful as well. Like once we figured out the blockchain stuff, so I was like, oh okay, IoT seems like it might be a great you know thing to have some experience with. Uh, I didn't know about Chainlink or Oracles at the time. I think that was like kind of the the better path. <laughs> um, but yeah, I ended up working at an IoT company called Samstar for a while, and it was funny that um, in twenty twenty. I actually, um, I've been following, you know, DeFi summer and stuff also as that was happening. Um, in 2020, NFTs were getting really big. And then I, um, I saw this opportunity to become like a YouTuber or a content creator, uh, because this guy that I was following on Facebook, he posted a video. He's like, Hey, I'm, I'm hosting this workshop. It's like, it's going to be a total of four months. Um, it's completely like funded and paid for by this, uh, this like, crypto investor who just really wants to see the space grow in a productive way. And all you have to do is apply, show that you're serious to make content. What we're going to do is we're going to train you up for a month. Um, we're going to teach you how to write scripts, how to like build a following, how to turn this into a business. And then if you're serious about it after the first month, we'll actually pay you for the next three months to make content about crypto and NFTs. And it's all your content. You own it. This is just think of it as like a launch pad for your career. We just want to see more like, uh, you know, Creators out there making content about the people behind the space, about the technology and not just the price movements and I was res- really resonated with that, and you know i've you know even though I've been kind of building my software engineering career the whole time, I've always had kind of like a creator side to myself or like a even like entrepreneurial or just like a people facing side I've really always really enjoyed that kind of work, and so when I saw this opportunity pop up, I was like, okay. I talked to my uh, my now fiance. I was like, "Should I should I apply for this? This seems like a crazy thing, but it sounds really fun." And then she was like, "Yeah, do it." And so she was actually the one who helped me pick out this uh, this screen name, that guy in tech. Um, and I was really surprised that it was even available at the time. But I ended up applying. I wrote this little, little rap about how I'm gonna like make content about crypto, and then got accepted. And then once I got into that program, I was like, "Yo, what if I did this full time? Like that would be kind of crazy." I you know I have no track record. <laughs> I haven't been doing content at all, but I think i should like give it my all i feel like content creation will take a lot of a lot of work so i started doing that um i quit my job at samsara to do this and then it was crazy because i thought i would give myself like six months to a year to like kind of develop a brand as a as a content creator or something and figure out what that really meant and it was two months in that people at alchemy found me and they were like someone with a technical background who can make content to help spearhead a lot of our growth and education efforts um and You know, uh, Alchemy has a solid product. It's like, you know, the best version of RPC node provider out there on top of like all the APIs and everything that they've built so far. And they were like, we just need more people to know about it. So, you know, can you do what you're doing with YouTube and Rafts and and crypto tutorials, um, but do it for like a developer audience in Web3? And I was like, heck yeah, (laughs) This, this is, I'd never imagined this was a career path that was possible, but let's see where it takes me. Um, so that was about a year and a half ago, uh, worked with Alchemy for, yeah, for about a year and a half and then, uh, saw a lot of problems, um, in the space that I was like really motivated to, to help solve over time. Um, and then that's kind of long story short, what ended up, uh, leading me to, to help build Deform with the current team.
1: That is so interesting because, uh, I relate a lot to that story, um, especially when it comes to like content creation being the thing that gets you into the space. <laughs> I didn't really expect that. You know, I, for me I I got into the industry because I was interested in payments. Yeah. And right? I was actually building a payments product. I was like really obsessive about it. I spent a lot of time building this payments product and then I just started making tutorials because I like to keep like you I like to communicate and right? I like to teach things, explain things and I just Started to make tutorials about the stuff I was using to build this payments product, and it resulted in like people asking me if I wanted to do this full time. Yeah, and I was like you and that I didn't really know that this was like a thing, like this devrel thing. Sam. I didn't really know Sam. that it existed, uh, and it is—it is, it is actually—it's a kind of niche to crypto a little bit, and that there's a lot more weight placed on it. In companies in Web three, I'd say, yeah. but I don't know. I, I, hearing you talk through your story was fascinating because I, I, I relate to it quite a bit. Um,
0: yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know you uh, were working on a payments uh, product for uh, Superfluid. That's such a great fit.
1: I was like building it on Superfluid. Oh. Right? Like I discovered Superfluid throughout my. Pro- I was like doing all this weird manual stuff, uh, and I was like, "Oh, Superfluid looks pretty cool. Like I should integrate this. I should build this whole thing on top of Superfluid." So I started doing that decided I wanted to just make a tutorial on it because I thought it was cool. And
0: boom, now working super that's amazing. Yeah. I I just want to highlight, I think like that's that's a big learning for both of us, I think, is content is such like content is pure gold when it comes to developer communities. Um, you know, in terms of like as an individual, it helps you build your own brand. It's basically working for you while you sleep. It's on the internet. It's helping other people answer questions that you had when you were building stuff, you know, and that's why you're sharing it. And then employers can, can see that and all that stuff. And then also just in, contributes to the ecosystem as a whole, because, you know, everyone looks at all of the content in aggregate that's out there and they look at, you know, the blockchain industry and they say, wow, okay, this is a legit place where people are, you know, smart people are solving problems, helping each other out, collaborating. Um, so I highly recommend more developers to, <laughs> to create content. It could help you in ways that you never imagined.
1: Yeah. And the other thing with it that I'll say is that, there, okay, there are some people out there who make content and they are at the absolute top of the field. They are the smartest person in the field and they do it. Like Andre Kapathy, the guy from Tesla. Oh yeah. He has a great course on neural networks. Yeah. And like, okay, in that case, the guy making it is the best, <laughs> like the best in the world, if not one of the best in the world at it. But what I'll say in talking to people like you in learning about my own experience and talking with the other big Developer advocate types in the space, like Patrick Collins or Nader, like th- Nader Dabit, like these are people that we've had on the show. They all say that part of what they're doing when they create the content is is the learning itself. Yep. Like they come up with the idea to make the content before they really even deeply understand the thing. But in the process of making a video that takes them three weeks, they go super deep into a specific topic so deep they can actually go back and teach it. And they're basically like building a useful asset for themselves and the space while they learn. So it's it's a great thing to do as an impetus to learn, I think. Um and yeah, I just think it's worth calling that out because I've definitely done that myself. Yeah.
0: I, I love that. I love that. That's a great ethos.
1: Yeah. But, anyways, no, so let's let's get back into into you and what you're working on now. So, so we're gonna unpack you know, this a little bit more, especially on the developer career side. Yep. But what uh, Deform? Why does it exist? Like, can you give us a, a basic overview of what you're working on now?
0: Yeah, gladly. Um, so I think it's probably good to start with uh, the original motivation or pain point that kind of surfaced this. Um, you know, back when I was working with Alchemy, uh, we were building out um, a developer community uh, I was working with Vito and Elan and Angelina, a bunch of other really awesome folks over there. Um, we started out with this experiment called Road to Web 3. That was a series of tutorials. If you complete the tutorial um, at the end of each week, then we issue you a soulbound token that acts as a proof of knowledge. It's a badge that says, hey, you completed this tutorial and you also uh, finished some challenge that we gave you on top of it to show that you really understood some of the core concepts in that lesson. And these badges are, uh, we, we spent a lot of effort, our designer, uh, Rodney, at the time, he animated these badges. So they're, they are uh, you know, looping MP4 files, GIFs. Um, and they they showcase like some of the, the skills that you learn in each tutorial. So like learn how to use Ethers.js or learn how to use the Alchemy NFT API or whatever it was. And it looked really cool. So people were really proud of earning these. They would share them on Twitter. And the way that we would issue these badges is that we had to check that you finished the tutorial. We didn't want to just give it out to anyone. So we, um, you know, being the scrappy startup mode that we were, we spun up a Google form and had people submit their GitHub link, their Twitter uh, handle, uh, a bunch of other information, some reflection questions on like, what did you enjoy the most about this project? And then in the beginning, we would go through every submission and like take a look at all the all the responses and then say, okay, this is great. Now we are going to um, allow list you for this uh, NFT to claim it. And in the beginning, it was great. Uh, We were just getting started, you know, a couple dozen people, maybe even a couple hundred. It was like kind of doable uh, if you hustled really hard. And then eventually some people found out about this form um, and started farming the form. They would like attack the form. There were people who were writing scripts and they were talking about writing scripts in our Discord to fill out the form on behalf of others and they would like charge for this service. <laughs> and so we were like, come on, this is, we, there's no monetary value to it. We're not like giving you any future rewards. I mean, maybe, I guess like we 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 did want to reward the people who are really learning. So people were just like speculating on that. And we were like, oh man, it would be really awesome if this Google form or this type form or whatever form we ended up moving to had a connect wallet button so that we could actually verify people were, um, using real wallets uh, that they actually own, uh, it'd be awesome if there were other kind of like civil protections so that um, you know we know that one person who's filling out the form is one real person. So that while that was happening, um, the provider that we used to mint these soulbound tokens, Mint Kudos, that team they also saw a similar problem where they were um, getting people to uh, other, any, any other user of mint kudos to mint an NFT, uh, the main c- problem that they had for minting these NFTs were collecting the wallet addresses, in a like reliable and scalable way. And so they were like, oh, we should build some kind of like form product into our, into our website so that people can like collect wa- wallet addresses, um, and like automatically filter people who they don't want to, to see in the product or something like that. And it all kind of coincided at ETH Bogota in DevCon last year in October. Um, I was on vacation. I kind of wanted to just go to the conference, say hi to some friends, uh, maybe you know, sp- spend some time hacking. And then the main Kudos team was there too. And we were chatting about it. And then we were like, okay, what if we just like built Google Forms with the kind of qualified? It's not going to be anything like super revolutionary, but you know, it'll be a really fun hack. And we'll both actually like use it. I would use it for Alchemy. They would use it for Minkudos. And so we hacked on it. And um, we did like a little mini soft launch on Twitter where we kind of detailed, here are the features that we'll have. Uh, here's what we built for the hackathon it uses like decentralized storage it uses some wallet connect providers that were at the hackathon um, and it blew up people were so excited about this idea it, everyone the general feedback was this makes so much sense why isn't this built already i would use this for my DAO, my nft community uh my marketing launch my signup page whatever it was and uh, and then, so I looked at the Minkudo's team and I was like, Hey, like I'm, I'm doing a bunch of stuff at Alchemy. I'm not going to be able to build this full time. Uh, you guys should build it into Minkudos so we could use it. <laughs> and they were like, okay. <laughs> so they started working on it and, uh, you know, I was, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close to the team. So I was giving them feedback and all this stuff. And over time we were like, you know, I think this could be something that's actually really interesting. And it's, it's something that the industry really needs. And I, I I've been, you know, pretty passionate about it. Um, and yeah, wanted to get back into like building products, so ended up deciding to to join the Deform team and, and do this full time.
1: Nice. Yeah, while you were talking, I I can think back to like literally two weeks ago when we have to review like I don't know hackathon forms and stuff like that. Dude, the e- even the management of just reviewing a hundred applications and stuff is is hard. <laughs> let alone when it's getting botted. There's a law, I guess, in Web three that everything that can be botted will be botted. Yeah, yeah. So, sam's law (laughs) yeah that's just how it goes yeah sam's law there you go i like that um but no so that's really interesting i think there's a lot of places you guys can go with with the product and we can maybe even talk to the product a little bit more in detail in a bit but you mentioned that you know like you wanted to get back into building product right that you had an itch to do that i think there are people listening to this and we were talking about this before we started recording but there are is definitely a subset of people that listen to the show who are devs, but they see themselves as people that want to either start their own thing, they maybe want to go be an indie hacker, they maybe want to join an early stage team. It sounds like you were familiar with the team that decided to build this and you knew them pretty well, you were using their previous product. How did you approach this process? Like what kind of decision-making process Did you go through that maybe other people can go through when they're, you know, maybe discerning whether or not they want to join an early stage team? I think your, your, your technical title is like founding
0: engineer or something like that. Yeah. Founding, founding product engineer. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, okay so I have to be honest the uh, the CEO of contribution labs which is the company behind mint kudos and deform is also my fiance <laughs> so that first helps. of all that helps <laughs> for the decision making because you know you're gonna have no breaks off from like getting home from work and then talking about you know what are the upcoming problems or or what's the, the hope for the company and things like that um, but it, 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 it I'm, I'm semi joking I think like the generalization of that is, you know, first of all, especially with an early stage company, um, if you mesh really well with the team, um, because, you know, you have the same kind of values or you have the same, uh, or at least overlapping visions of, uh, the future of, you know, a particular industry or, or just the world. Uh, I think that helps a lot because you're going to be spending, especially at an early stage company, you're spending, be spending a lot of time with each other, um, building stuff. There's going to be a lot of, um, you know, product churn as you're trying to figure out different solutions that may or may not work, you're going to have to be able to uh, have fun with each other and tolerate with each other. So, you know, you have to be with people that you kind of, um, you enjoy being around and that you admire, you respect, you can work well with. So I would say that's kind of like the the generalized lesson on that front. Um, I think the other thing is, I can't stress enough, this is something that, you know, Y Combinator in Silicon Valley talks about a lot is uh, make something that people want. You know, I think if you're solving a problem for someone, even if it's just yourself, even if it's just one person or one other person, if you're really clear on the problem that they have and you can build something for them that they, they not only that you think that they could use or benefit from, but that they actually want to use and they will use, that's like the most surefire way to, to get something started that will be uh, fun and lasting and, and ha- kind of have a path. Um yeah I think for for us like if this hackathon didn't happen and we didn't have this early validation even with just like this 24 hour hack prototype uh it probably wouldn't have gone in any serious direction um so yeah I w- I would summarize that as just number 1 be with people that you you know have fun with respect uh work well with and then number 2 build something that people really want to use um I think the way to do that that's always the challenge it's so easy to say build something that people want Um, but like, what's the real advice for how do you do that? Like, how do you do that well? And how do you do that consistently? Uh, I think that's something that everyone's always striving to do. I think something that has worked really well, um, in my career is you have to not be afraid of (laughs) talking to people. And I think the the mindset I have when I, when I talk to people is that whatever it is I'm working on, whether it's Alchemy University, uh, or the content that I'm creating or it's I truly believe I truly have a curiosity of, of what people are doing in terms of their existing workflows. How are they building their current web three developer careers? How are they uh, currently managing their their marketing forms or their sign up sheets or their allow lists? And I truly like think that whatever it is I'm working on will benefit them and will make them uh, you know much happier and. Um, there's another, like, I guess, uh, thing that I would suggest people look into, which is, um, uh, Brian Chesky and the other Airbnb founders, they talk about how to craft this 11 star experience. This, it's kind of like a, uh, an exercise to go through when you're trying to figure out like, what's the best, how far should we go when we want to build something that's really like great for the user, for the customer that you're trying to build for. And I think having that also in the back of my mind where it's like, we we don't have to build something that just barely satisfies their needs. We should figure out like what would make it so mind blowing for them to come to you know Deform for example and be like oh wow I didn't know you could do just like connect wallet and have a civil resistant form, but you could also you know create a voting system off of it. You can also gift NFTs afterwards. Uh, you can also use this to integrate into a bunch of other services, whatever it is. Um, and even, even beyond, you know, like you get invited to a conference at the end of the year or something like that, and you get free users, whatever it is, how do you craft that 11 star experience? So kind of, um, thinking about all that holistically, if you enjoy that a lot, then early stage startups are especially a great place, I think, because you're going to be wearing all these hats. You're going to be figuring it all out. Um, but yeah, I would say that those are all kind of like tidbits of things to consider when you're trying to decide whether or not you want to go to an early stage team.
1: Interesting. So I think that there are definitely some listeners who resonate with that completely. And I think there's also probably listeners that have something, have it in their mind that they want to join an early stage company or build a product. But the reality is maybe they are approaching things somewhat differently. Maybe they have misconceptions about this, what this would actually look like. You know, one, there's a couple of examples in that, right? So one thing is you mentioned you're really not afraid to go out to people and talk to them ask questions Mm -hmm. right and i think that web 3 is actually pretty good with like an having an open engineering culture typically some of the best engineers that i've seen are pretty active at least on twitter i think that maybe what an engineer would need to do to like apply this to product design is instead of just getting involved in like the the huff and low-level evm conversation they should also consider thinking through like the holistic product design process. Right. And one of the things that I think is actually somewhat challenging for really good technical minds is that to make something people want, you you have to focus on it. You have to have a different thing in mind, right? Your focus seems to be on the entire product experience, yep. right? You're an engineer, you're technical, you can build stuff, but you're taking this almost engineering style approach, but applying it to the entire Experience, right? It's it's a much broader set of problems that are way more human-centric than just a purely technically minded person would be on some back-end engineering problem. Yeah. Right. So have you ever had a hard time with like going from? I mean, you worked at Samsara, it sounds like I think you were an engineer there. Yep. Did you have a hard time, or was there an adjustment period when you went from this like engineering approach to more a more holistic? product centric approach like was there any adjustment period Do you have any advice for people that want to cross the chasm and think about product design more holistically i mean can you can you say anything about about all that
0: yeah that's a great question um and i think talking about my experience at samsara is a great place to start because i was there for a good chunk of time and really evolved my uh, my engineering career there um i think you know when i first started it was uh, i was you know a more junior engineer so um at a at you know, more established engineering orgs, I think something that these orgs usually do well is that there is kind of a good support system for how to level people up. Um, so for example, on my team, you know, I have like a a buddy who's helping me, you know, scope down tasks, um, you know, help me like work through different parts of a project. So that I'm never like blocked on anything too huge. And then as I level up, as I gain my technical knowledge and expertise, then I could be the one who's kind of scoping down a project or saying like, hey, if we want to solve this, uh, this problem that's coming in from you know, sales or customers or the product management team, um, then there are a couple of different solutions we might want to consider. And then these are, uh, how, these are the parts to how the, these different solutions break down. And then we can talk about the trade-offs. And so, once you're able to do that reliably and help mentor other engineers, then you're considered like a senior engineer. And I think what the reason why these engineering orgs, in the context of the broader business, care about this kind of like a progression is to help you as an engineer build the right things that are actually useful for businesses, for, for your customers, for the business's customers. Um, and I think it's, I think one thing that's easy to do as an engineer that I find myself um, falling into when I'm I'm really kind of like digging into a problem is thinking about, uh, I have this technology, I have this API, this SDK, this tool, or I have this like idea for a new system that I wanna build. Here's what we're gonna be able to do with it. And then kind of rabbit hole down into like the possibilities, starting from here's the technology and here's what we could do with it. Um, I think where that kind of like breaks down is Um, when you're trying to build something that other people really want to use or that the customer is really happy with, you kind of have to start with, what do they need? What are their pain points and what are their, like, you know, their ultimate goals? They don't care how you implement it. They don't care what tools or APIs or SDKs or libraries you use. They just want their problem to go away. And if you can help them solve it, then they're going to be happy. Um, so I think. Like the, the hard part for me making the transition sometimes or like wearing the different hats is knowing that our existing infrastructure, for example, is it's going to be hard to like build A, B, and C with the way it's currently designed because it's like, oh, we made certain engineering choices early on. And then looking at a bunch of customer feedback and saying, this is what they need though, like to to move on with their lives and their business and their work um and saying, it's okay, like let's figure out a way to solve that problem. Whereas I think if I'm really wearing my engineering hat, then it's like, okay, can they, can they like work around it? <laughs> you know, can we like give them a, a like a workaround solution um, so that you know we don't have to do some crazy huge refactor? So I think having understanding how to balance that, that's like a constant struggle um, as you level up, I would say, and, and like kind of wearing the engineering hat and the product hat.
1: Well, I think it's just it comes down to caring about different things, wow. right? There's a different priority set. I mean, I, I'd say that most people that are that are in a position where they do just care about pure engineering stuff. They care about different things, and what I'll say though, actually, what I've seen is that I think the people that have built a lot of the open source tooling in Web three in particular do a really good job of basically having this mindset, yeah. just for engineers, right? Some of the people that are working on like new dev tooling, trying to build open primitives, they're almost forced to think in this way, but you know, their, their customers just somebody just like them who's an engineer, right? right? So I think there's a lot to be learned from from people like that. Right. A lot of people we've had actually on the podcast, I think have really good approaches to this. But it's interesting you say that. And actually, I heard you mention on a different podcast that you've had to upskill a lot yeah. since starting at, at, at Deform uh, and wearing all these different hats. What kinds of skills have you had to use on a day-to-day basis? What have you had to learn? Like, Like, what's it been like jumping into this this arena
0: yeah um that's a great question i think as um i guess the way we're framing my product engineering role is it's kind of like in between uh the the engineering product development side of things within the company internally as well as on the outward facing like marketing sales uh customer success kind of loop um so first of all i think balancing all of that is it's like a time management problem and a prioritization problem. Uh, So that's something that I've uh, had to like iterate on a a bunch. And I think um, I think the lesson there is it's what's been super helpful for me is understanding different stacks of our code, and having focuses on them at one chunk of time or another. Uh, And then also having like dedicated set aside time for just like customers. Um, and so maybe it's like one week I'm focusing on product development and I'm kind of pretty heads down. I, we know we have a roadmap, there are features we want to build, let's focus on that. And then another week it's like, okay, let's go back to customers, get in front of them, hop on calls, get their feedback, record all of that, process that, share that with the rest of the team, things like that. So that just, that balance is kind of a really interesting challenge. Um, I would say also going from like a year and a half of, of developer relations and focusing more on content and community programs, um, and then going back into uh, working with our current stack, which is like N- NextJ- Next.js, uh, TypeScript, React. Um, you know, we use a Postgres database. We uh, It's fully TypeScript, which is really nice, actually, uh, even on the back end. Um, but really just like digging in there and kind of seeing some of the um, the patterns that I might be introducing in like a tutorial um, play out at scale in a real life production uh, uh, product and realizing, okay, there are some interesting complications that arise. How do we solve those? Uh, That's also, I would say like a a challenge when you're, when you're building something that people are using. (laughs) Um, And, uh, I think integrations for us is probably one of the the biggest um, challenges because, you know, as a form provider, we are connecting with a bunch of social accounts. Uh, with Twitter, Discord, Telegram, for example, uh, we're connecting with blockchain data via, like, a connect wallet. We have to deal with, you know, um, APIs from, like, Alchemy and other chain RPCs. And um, and then we're also integrating with other, like, libraries, like uh, React Form, uh, you know, open source software. And being able to integrate all that in a way that makes it super useful for people is uh there's, there's constantly something new to learn there, and you're kind of at the mercy at times to those integrations, to those different like data providers, social auth providers, um, and if anything changes there, or if there's anything unreliable, uh, you have to figure out how to hack around that. So I would say that's kind of like the, the biggest technical challenge for me so far.
1: So I want to come back to the integrations thing because I think there's some there's something to unpack there that I think would even just be useful for me yeah. uh, in my own day to day work, but. You mentioned uh-huh. you've you've demoed a ton of this code as Devra, right? You've explained how these things work to beginners and maybe intermediate uh, developers as well. But actually building with them and seeing them like in action and actually implementing them in a larger project has opened up, I think you said, just interesting problems. Yeah. Do you have any examples of the kinds of things uh, that people would need to watch out for there when they go from like this more beginner setting to actually building out a full-fledged product with some, even just some of these these front-end tools that interface with the Web3 stack.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I would say I could give a front end example and a back end example. And I think they're both very relevant to like a web3 developer audience. Um, on the front end case, I think one of the things that happens a lot in the tutorials I've made is I've kind of um, there'll be like a connect wallet component inside of like a front end DAP uh, application. And you connect wallet, that allows people to sign into something and then it loads something on the page. It'll load like a bunch of NFTs using the NFT API or whatever it is. And when you're working with a real prod application, that connect wallet component and how it affects the entire rest of the application state is so important. So for example, for us, we use a React hook kind of uh, pattern to uh, allow people to sign in and we will use the Rainbow Kit um, SDK to actually allow people to sign in with their wallet. Um, But then we save that state across the entire app. And then where that state gets updated in terms of like if people are disconnecting their wallet or they're reconnecting it or they're switching their wallet, where that gets updated inside the app um, is very important because we have concepts of like, which workspace are you currently logging into because each workspace has a different set of forms that you have permissions to view. And so uh, our workspace, you know, provider is also like a React hook uh, uses a React hook pattern. And so the way that you nest these providers inside your application or around your application is, uh, you know, super important. And there might be, you know, bugs that arise with how those things play with each other. So, you know, d- when you're actually, like for a demo app, I'm not going to have this complicated like workspace Architecture, and uh, then you don't really see, you don't really get that hands-on experience of like how to deal with those kinds of issues as people are are using it. Um, But then once you have users and you have like people in different workspaces, these users will have like different you know sets of ways that they want to use your product. Then you know things like that really matter. So I would say like on the front end, that's something that's really worth kind of studying or like building out a couple times and seeing how that works because that's something that you'll probably have to face if you use that kind of a stack. Um, on the back end, like when I say backend, I'm talking specifically about the interaction with blockchain, since this is, you know, like web three, the web three component of our product, um, you know, being able to read on-chain data is a core part of like value proposition of D form. Like someone will submit a response. We can automatically look up data on, uh, you know, do they hold certain ERC 20 tokens or an NFT, or have they made certain on-chain uh, transactions, things like that. But then you have to make this kind of decision on how often am I pulling that data? Because if you decide to pull it at the time that someone responds to a form, but then they maybe trade their assets away, that's something that you have to figure out on the back end to like, how much are you willing to, to spend, quote unquote, on like new requests? Or, you know, maybe you can implement like a webhook or something if the provider has that, Um But that's like a very real like backend architecture decision that impacts your bottom line because it might, you know, cost a lot or especially if you're now issuing transactions. um, That's where it gets really hairy because then you have to decide like, do I want to provide gas fees for the user so that, um, you know, it's easier for them to get started and going. They don't have to worry about those kinds of costs. Uh, Or do I want to pass it off to them? And then also when the network is kind of like, Backlogged. Are you going to use a kind of um, like a queue system, build it out yourself? Or are you going to use some of the other like relayer options that are out there from like Open Zeppelin or Biconomy or whatever it is? Uh, so, yeah, those kinds of integrations are also super important on the back end. And those are things that you probably won't get as much of until you're like operating at some scale where you're, you know, um, you have users who are like really depending on those transactions uh, being live and updated.
1: Yeah, no, I really appreciate you unpacking those because I think it's really easy to hand wave and just be like, "Oh, I have a front end that uses Wallet Connect and Wagmi, yeah. and we have a backend which you know we have some some of our own servers and infrastructure there, and we're just pulling data from the blockchain." Right. It's really it's so easy to hand wave yeah. that, but the actual management of this stuff is tricky. Like, I mean, managing like managing state between your components in React, it it is a pain. That's like. At least in my experience, that's like the most important, that's like the, not only the most important, but the most painful yeah. <laughs> part of like doing anything in React, yep. man. That's uh, true. So I feel you there. on the On the gas fees thing, I think there's a lot of unexplored design space there and the knowledge of how to do this well mm-hmm. is still like not, it's not really consolidated anywhere. Like no one has really built like a best practices for like, you know, how do we abstract fees from the user? Do we do it? Under what circumstances do we do it? What does a typical architecture look like for this? So and where where have you guys landed on paying gas fees or subsidizing gas fees for users? Like how are you guys evaluating that as a decision?
0: Yeah, for the Mint Kudos product, um that one, you know, from the beginning it was decided that uh we would cover gas fees. Um and this is something that our um especially our back-end engineer uh Tracy as well as our co-founder and CTO, K, they, they spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, they had debated a lot of the options for um, you know which Relay or provider to, to use and then ultimately settled on the fact that a lot of those were kind of a little bit too heavyweight even. There were just too many configuration options and they were kind of like too opinionated uh, in terms of how much you have to set up. And so we ended up implementing our own like very lightweight version of like there's a queue, uh, we would be able to kind of process a bunch of transactions and then we would retry if anything ever failed. Um, but you know, with regard to the gas perspective, we decided to just pay for gas because we didn't want there to be any barrier to entry for, for this product, which is like, it's non-financial in nature. It's soul bound tokens. So people can't really even trade them or transfer them after the fact. Um, so we didn't want people to have to like go to an exchange buy buy some tokens so that they could like pay for gas and then and then mint their tokens or receive their tokens or something like that. Um, so I think you know from wearing that user hat, the user perspective, the product hat, it was very important to get people to just like use the product and love it um, and have as little friction as possible. And then I think what ended up evolving was as there were bigger players like Alchemy, for example, when I was a customer of the pro- of the service. Um, you know, as people are using it more and more and even integrating it into their services, their own services, like we were calling the mint kudos API, um, to mint early access NFTs for the Alchemy University, uh, passes when we're like beta launching that program. And once it gets to that size, then you start having the conversations around, okay, um, would it be okay if you guys pay for gas fees? (laughs) Uh, And, you know, we're not going to even charge that much, but um, on top of it, you know, it's really just to cover the costs. And that's like something totally reasonable because, you know, you're saving your customers a bunch of time on the actual development process, integration process. And I'm sure they would be happy to just pay for like the network fees um, that they would incur anyways. So those were some of the considerations.
1: Makes sense. Yeah, I think... uh... Yeah, it's interesting. I think, and I think people are going to enjoy hearing you like talk through that because I think a lot of product teams, especially, are thinking through like how they should approach this. And you know, it might be interesting to get uh, Albert's perspective on how that works. But you mentioned integrations there again. So, you know, at at Superfluid, for example, like we have a lot of focus now on integrations between what, like our technology and existing providers for things like subscriptions, and even like gaming has become a bigger focus yeah. for us. And one thing that I do, and even a lot of other people who are building different technology have to do, is think about how they support integrations, right? There's kind of this dance sometimes with integrations where it's like, who builds it, right? Do you have like an integration team? Uh, Are we going to build it? Are you guys going to build it? Uh, How are we going to do this? And it typically ends up being the team that like probably could benefit from it more. Like the smaller team ends up building it for the larger team if they can. Um, but the prioritization process and the management of an integration, it's not necessarily easy. It requires a multivariate skill set. You have to be able to to handle things like a project manager would. You got to sell a little bit right throughout the the life cycle, yeah. and you have to you know actually build the thing, right? So how do you guys approach this? I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of different potential things you guys can integrate with. Um, and I'm curious to hear, like, if you guys have a process or a, a certain methodology with which you approach these things.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I could I could share a couple of different examples of how uh, this has kind of shaped up for us. I would say for Deform itself, you know, we've in the early days. I think I mean, even now we're still early days, um, but especially in the first month of like releasing our closed beta product, where you couldn't even, you know, there's no landing page. You couldn't access it. Even if you, if you wanted to, you would have to like hop on a call with us. Um, we were hopping on calls with people and we were essentially saying, Hey, we have this really great product. It's token gated forms. It's on chain lookups. Um, how would you use this? Right. How, why, why did you go through all this friction of like contacting us and then, you know, wanting to use this, to tell us about your problem set. And so that's through that process, we identified um, early partners like, uh, like ENS like optimism, really great um, you know, ecosystem players who are saying, hey, we have a lot of forms that we want to send out. We are talking to a Web3 audience. We want to verify certain things like, are they going to ETH Denver based on an NFT ticket that they have? Uh, do they have an ENS domain set? Uh, when they're voting for public goods, Like, are they on this allow list? And um, you know, are they people who are registered to, to vote essentially? Uh, things like that. And so by identifying these specific use cases and saying, Hey, if we, um, if we build this, even, even going this far, if we build this, will you pay for it? <laughs> you know, having some version of that question where it's not about us making a bunch of money, cause it's really not that much money. It's like, are you, is it that painful for you that you're like, this is the priority thing that you're willing to like, you know, jump through an extra hoop for. Um, and that really helped us, I would say prioritize. Now, the other thing that's really cool is once you have that kind of, I guess, like qualification conversation and people agree, they say, yes, this is something we really, really need. If you had this and if you build this, uh, we would love to like be a design partner with you. We would love to like give you feedback. What you get is now you get this relationship where you can send them updates, you can set a a calendar invite in in like two or three weeks or a month and say, hey, like, let's check in then when we have our designs and then get your feedback on it and see like, um, whatever it is, uh, whatever your feedback is. And so um, I think being able to build in that way is super crucial for like, kind of creating this, this, really any product but then especially if you're integrating right like you really want to get into the people's workflows you have to identify those workflows and make sure that you're even predicting what other things uh people want so that's kind of how we thought about it internally as we got started and i think that served us really well um, we're also getting a lot of inbound requests from other teams for example um, I'm pretty excited about the, the Copper X team. They're an example that's building on Superfluid uh, for crypto subscriptions. I think they're, it's like a great way of leveraging the, the amazing infrastructure you guys have built um, to create like uh, a really nice Stripe-like experience. Actually, it's like like very web two, which I think is great. I think it really expands the market um, to, to build in this way. But to have that is something that would be super exciting down the road when we have like crypto-native customers who are like, we don't want to pay with a credit card. Um, we also have partners, uh, potential partners that we're chatting with right now, like Sismo, for example, they're like, Hey, we could provide a, uh, zero knowledge, uh, kind of sign in or a zero knowledge way for people to prove that they do have an asset or they do have a certain amount of you know, money in their account without actually having to reveal how much money there is. Um, so that way it's like kind of privacy by default. And then people can, you know, feel more secure with, with all of their, <laughs> uh, online footprint hanging out there on the internet. So those are really interesting things that, you know, on the receiving end of these integration requests, it's like up to us to also really discern how do we prioritize our time and which partners we want to work with. Um, What I think helps a lot is whenever these teams have like a really fleshed out demo, it helps so much because you can see, oh, wow, this is exactly how we would use it. Um, And I could totally envision it, you know, being integrated into our product like tomorrow. So I think that kind of like a lot of times makes or breaks some of these early conversations for getting the integrations going. And then in terms of actually following through, you just have to keep updated, keep building the right thing, keep getting feedback um, until you can to until you can actually ship it and like get it into their hands.
1: I love it. Yeah, that was a fantastic answer. I think one thing you glossed over quickly yep. that I think is also po- important to just highlight is the role of asking like, would you pay for it? Yeah. Uh, can you unpack why that's actually a very important step
0: yeah that's actually i'm glad uh i'm glad we're unpacking that i think that was probably the the scariest thing when we were first starting because especially for someone like you know who's focused more on like engineering and, and like building the the product most of the time um you're not there at that moment where it's like like hey can you pay us some huge amount of money <laughs> For especially for this like early stage product that's like been prototype mode, you know it's kind of nerve wracking the first couple of times. Um, but what that question is really asking is like, do you want this? Right, going back to the very beginning of like build something people want. It's kind of like putting a num- putting a number a price to it is uh, to this question is a great way of quantifying like how much do you want this. Um, because people can always say they can, you know, respond to your customer emails. They can respond to your tweets and say like, oh, it'd be so cool if like this, you know, D form had this feature or whatever feature. And then the moment you bring out that question, it's basically putting a, like a ruler to it and saying, how much do you want this? Right. Do you want this like $50 much, or do you want this like $300 much, or do you want this $1,000 much? And then, um, of, of course it gets more complex from there, but it's like such a huge, you know, great starting point of seeing like, okay, we have 10 features these two are the ones that are like one thousand dollars like people are willing to like for some reason pay one thousand dollars for this feature you know clearly like this is like a huge pain point um so i would say that that's like probably the biggest the the my my best tool in the toolkit for identifying what people want
1: yeah and i think framed in that way i think it should help people like just develop the courage to just do it like ask for money because it's a signal. It's going to help you get to truth faster, yeah, yeah. right? If you're, if you're uncomfortable with like the money aspect of it, I think the right way to think about it is like, I think the way you framed it somewhere else where I heard you say it, it was almost like a, like a language for discerning how valuable this thing yeah, is. Yeah, it's a way to measure right? intent.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's not like you're like trying to to rob them or you're being a sleazy salesman or you're just trying to get that couple extra dollars. It's really like, think of it as like a way to show how much you care. Like you're willing to go out of your way to help them quantify and help you prioritize like how you spend your time. Um, You know, it's like, I I really want to build this feature for you, but I really need to know, you know, how much do you want it? So that way I don't like waste my time and burn out and like build the wrong thing. And like our company goes out of business, like all this stuff. So it's like, it comes from a place of having respect for the customer, having respect for our ability to build. Um, So if you're ever afraid of asking that question, I highly recommend just, just trying it, just see how people react. A lot of times people don't react that badly. And the worst case is people are like, you know, that's that's like a little bit more than we expected or that's a little bit more than we have budget for. And what they're really saying in that moment is not like, oh, we don't have, we can't afford it. It's like most of the time, because like really 50 bucks, like most companies, they can afford it. But it's like, what they're really saying is, I don't feel like that's worth it or I don't feel like that really solves some of the biggest problem in my mind. And that gives you a window to actually figure out what are the biggest problems on your mind. Like, tell me more about that, right? Like really lean into it. Don't say like, oh, dang it, okay. You know, how about we give it to you for free? Like don't just immediately like cut yourself short. It's really an opportunity to say, Hey, you know, tell me more about that. Like what why isn't it worth it to you? Right. Or like what else would you would you need to get to that price point? You know, that really it's it's like a way to help you prioritize and just do discovery and find more ways to actually make your thing useful.
1: Yeah, man, I, I love that framing so much. Um, that's one of the literally the best framings I think I've ever heard awesome. on that. Um I'm glad. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, you know it's good. So let's let's zoom back out a bit to some slightly more general things, right? So let's say I'm an early career developer, right? I know that I kind of like. Let's say they look up to you, right? They're 20 years old. They're like, shit, you know, like what Albert's doing right now, where he's building product, he's doing this early stage startup thing, where it's more, it's about more than just building a feature. It's about actually building a product and the entire thing. What I see when I look at you now and asking these questions. I mean, I see like a skill set that is like really well calibrated for what you're doing now. And some of this you're learning like as you go, yeah. but like you, it seems like you've accumulated a certain set of skills that's really helpful for you mm-hmm. right now. Like, let's say for that 20 year old person, like what kinds of things do they need to learn to actually be good at the kind of stuff that you have to do right now?
0: Um, I'll give a high level answer first which is that, um, say, say that you'll do things like be public about it. And that, that kind of goes into like the content creation or like creating an online profile or like Twitter or whatever it is, say that you'll do things because people will like react to them and you'll get like really early feedback from just the ideas and then follow through and actually do them and and like show people that you're doing them. And if you kind of create that loop at a high level, I think that's ultimately like how you keep in touch with like the society, the community that you're trying to serve. Uh, it's how you really level up your skills. It's how I've stayed motivated to improve myself in whatever ways is necessary, whether it's technical or more product or, you know, GTM facing, um, keeping that loop in mind, say that you'll do things and then actually do them. Um, and then I would say like more concretely, I think technically speaking, a lot of web3 i think is really focused on or at least during the bull market i think we're right now we've we're doing a pretty good job as an industry um but a lot of web3 has so far been super focused on really grand ideas on like how we can revolutionize a whole bunch of things um and then we don't actually like survey our users or talk to people who are we're really actually trying to like get to use these things um so I think completing that loop and like talking to users, talking to customers, and actually building, you know, those integrations that we've talked about, the like applications um, that are that are really useful on top of the amazing infrastructure that's being provided by like Superfluid or Alchemy or some of these big players. I think that's super crucial. And so um, to get to do that, to do that, I think it's it's really important that you're not only learning about how does a blockchain work or like how do you use this really cutting edge like account abstraction techniques or, or ZK or whatever it is, but also just like having really strong fundamental like web development skills or mobile development skills. Like these will never go out of style. I think you, we need to have really strong, just fundamental application developers in order to really take a lot of this amazing infrastructure and and actually get it into the hands of the billion people around the world. Um, so that, that never goes out of style, definitely focus on that. And then um, on the people facing side, um, Honestly, I think we've covered a lot of in this show so far. I would say one another practical thing is like one of the things I've been super grateful for is building a Twitter following, a Twitter audience. Um, you know, when it comes to creating like a Twitter profile, like the benefit is that people all around the world, it's like, you know, a public thing, anyone can see your tweets, anyone can see your thoughts, your conversations, anyone can jump in and give you feedback. Now, when you're creating your profile, in order to like foster this, this audience and this community or this this like group of people who are willing to even respond to your tweets, I would say like you know create a profile that's very friendly. It has, like your profile picture should just have your face very clear. Um, have a banner that kind of like shows some information about what it is that you're about. You know, your profile should be very clear. Like, how can you help them? Why should people like be talking to you? Um, but I, I give these tidbits of advice for Twitter specifically because that, I think that's one of the biggest things, especially in Web three that has helped me so much in terms of getting, you know, partnership conversations going, getting integration uh, conversations going, getting feedback from early partners um, and all of that kind of stuff. So highly, highly recommend that as an approach uh, on the business side.
1: I love it. I'd also say on the business side and just like the general relationship building side, you are very genuine. And it comes across that like, you're pretty genuine. There's definitely some, there's definitely some like, I don't know. There, there are people in in Web three on Twitter and stuff that have sort of grifter energy to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just exists. Yep. Right. Kind of hype farming, yeah, engaged. Farming. It's definitely all over the place, yeah. and what I find interesting about you is that you're you're extremely you've been extremely consistent in every interaction that like I've had with you, that people like on our team have had with you and stuff like that. So like I, I don't know. I, I I respect it. Thank you.
0: I appreciate that a lot. I you know I think the flip side of that is I feel like. Maybe I overshare, you know, I think that's, that's almost like the, the the other side of it. I, I'm not afraid of it, I think, but like other people or a lot of people, I think that's one of the biggest humps to like being public online is that, you know, I'll post like memes or like shit posts or whatever about like, uh, I sold all my furniture to buy the dip. Uh, That was like one of my most popular tweets back in the day. It was a joke, but, you know, it really blew up. And a lot of people were like concerned for me and all this stuff. Um, But, you know, there are like pictures like that or like I'll post pictures of my family or like what I'm doing or like travel and things like that, um, that I think help contribute to it. And it really helps like people connect because that's something I desire a lot, just genuinely. And so I'm glad that it comes across. It's like, I just want people, I want everybody to get along, you know, build together, let's collaborate. That's kind of like the mindset that I have when I'm sharing. Um, but, you know, on the flip side of that, it, it, it could be oversharing. I don't know, maybe it'll come to bite me in the butt later in the future, but we'll see.
1: Well, I mean, you have a different style than the, uh, the anons do. True,
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's okay. You're not, uh, yeah, you're not building um, that, Anarchist of things, really. Right? <laughs> we're not. True. We're not. We're not in that space. Yeah. But, anyways, uh, Albert, this has been a very fun conversation. Before we jump off today, is there anything else that you
0: want to leave our our listeners with? Um, I think. Uh, I mean, just trying deform will be a, a a huge help. If I could take a, a second to kind of just plug that, I think. Um, you know, we're early in our product development, so we have a lot of really great use cases and early partners kind of fleshing out. Um, but would love more people to try it out, give us feedback, help us prioritize our future roadmap. Um, And I would say just like, this is such a great time to be building in Web3, even though it's like really quiet um, in terms of like the news and the price movements and all that stuff. But I think this is the absolute best time to be building in Web3 because all the really, really serious people who are uh, optimistic about the future, who are smart and motivated at at really like changing something uh, in this world, are still here uh, sticking around and building. Um, so come join us if you haven't already.
1: Nice. I love the message. I'll link to DForm and also all your other socials and stuff in the show notes. But again, really appreciate you coming on. It's a lot of fun. And yeah, we'll stay in touch, obviously.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Sam. Great host.